are continuing it in our seven series this morning, and uh, we got to part number five in our seven series. And already in this series, we've talked about how to overcome the temptation of uh, what is known as the seven deadly sins. And uh, we've talked about greed, we've talked about anger, we've talked about pride, and we talked about slothfulness. Well, today we've got a special surprise for you, uh, because uh, um, I'm actually not going to be speaking today, and so I get, si- I get to sit back and... Uh, and listen to somebody else speak. Today, we've got a, a special guest speaker with us. His name is Paul Gilmore, and uh, Paul is a great guy. He uh, planted a church uh, about uh, nine years ago, I think it was, in uh, Northern Virginia called Quest Church, and they used to meet in a the movie theater like we used to meet and, and everything, and, and Paul is one of the guys who I think just gets it. He gets what church is all about. He gets that it's about gathering people together to reach people for Jesus Christ, and, that, and that's what it's all about. That's why we gather here on a Sunday morning. We come to worship God together, and then in the week we go out to reach people for Jesus Christ, and Paul just gets it. Paul actually used to be Ken, our worship leader. He used to be his uh, his pastor, and uh, Ken always says that it was Pastor Paul's uh, ministry, being on the Pastor Paul's ministry, that really made him into the believer that he is today. And uh, we're just thankful for Ken. So uh, we can thank Pastor Paul uh, for Ken. So uh, uh, Paul, why don't you come and, uh, and bring us the word today? Let's give him a Generation Church welcome this morning. Good morning, everyone. Look, let's just be friends, okay? I know I'm new uh, let's try it again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I feel better. I feel better. Um, it's great to be here. And um, before I get started, I want to introduce to you my entourage. All right? I don't have an entourage. It's just my family. But they're my best friends, and uh, they're cheering for me this morning. So I want to introduce to you my smoking hot wife, and I'm going to talk about her a little bit more. Why don't you stand up, Heidi, so they can say, <laughs> I'll tell you more about her in just a bit. This is my youngest son, Brady. Why don't you stand up, Brady? Now, you got to make him feel welcome, friends. This is my, yeah. He's 16, and he's a sophomore in high school. This is my daughter, Bailey. She's a senior in high school, a soccer star. She's actually going to Liberty University, so if you follow Liberty Soccer, one day you'll see her. This is my oldest son, Brady. He's in college. In North- Brandon, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got my entourage confused, and this is my other daughter, Maddie. She's actually not my daughter, so she's confused right now. She's a friend of our family, so, but we just adopt everybody. So now you know a little bit more about me and uh, my family. And uh, the reason why I'm here today, I-, I love Ken to death, and he and I go way back, and those are very kind words, but I am here for one reason. I am here for your pastor and I am here to give him the morning off. Isn't that awesome? He can relax just like you relax and uh, just uh, enjoy himself, but I love your pastor, and uh, I love all pastors, all pastors, on their good days, on their bad days, on the Sundays when they don't necessarily hold your attention, you still got to love your pastor. You got to love him always in little ways throughout the week, especially someone who works and pastors, I'm telling you, today, I'm a vice president of sales for a technology company. In the past, I worked in technology. I was always bivocational too, but I was always a pastor. And the hardest job by far that I've ever had in my life is being a pastor, hands down. The most difficult, most demanding, um, 
gives you your lowest lows, your highest highs, but your lowest lows, pastoring is difficult. Please, 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 if you consider this your church, encourage your pastor this week, send him a note. I was going to say give him 20 bucks today to go out to dinner, but it takes more than 20 bucks to go out to dinner, so give him 100 bucks today to go out to dinner with his wife, right? Is that what you told me to tell him? 100 bucks, not 20, okay. Um, Take care of your pastor. So I'm here to encourage your pastor today, and it just so happens that while I love your pastor, I'm not sure he likes me. You want to know why? I think this is a setup. He has assigned me over the next two weeks the topic of slothfulness and lust. So basically, he is getting me to come up here and call you guys and gals a bunch of lazy perverts, right? That's slothfulness and lust. You're going to hate me and think that guy's such a jerk, and you're going to love him more once I'm out of here after two weeks. And actually, that works perfectly. I'll come up here and talk about these topics, and uh, then you'll, you'll move on. But I, I'm excited to be here. The pastor already mentioned the series that we're talking about, and I have to confess to you one thing as well that you should know about me. You ready? I think the seven deadly sins are um, lust, right? That's, that's one, yeah? Well, I got to tell you something. I'm guilty of it. Um, gluttony, if you ever come with me to eat sushi, you will look at me and say, that guy's a gluttonous fool, right? Because I will shove more sushi in my mouth than is possible. So I'm guilty of that one. Greed, definitely guilty of that one. Slothfulness, not always, but definitely sometimes. Wrath, if you would have rode up in the car with me, with my kids, my entourage, you would have seen wrath coming out of me. Envy, yep. Oh, pride, never. I'm not, never, no, pride, yes. I am standing in front of you here today having committed all of those, which is interesting, and it's actually good news. Here's the good news. Most people, and maybe you've been exploring Christianity, or maybe you're here today and you're just kind of checking this group out. You like the music, you like the pastor, you like his accent, right? You just come back for that every week. That's pretty cool. You you just like the community that's here. You go back and you hang out and you have a cup of coffee and it's fun, right? And you're exploring Christianity and you think that Christianity is all about not doing any of those seven deadly sins. And yet now you're here today and the guy who's speaking to you has committed repeatedly all seven of those. What's the deal? The good news is this. And most people miss this about Christianity. Christianity is not about not doing those seven things. In fact, Christianity recognizes that the pastor, the speaker, the pastor, the Christians all have committed those seven things. In fact, some people come to church and they look over and they see someone else sitting in the church and they think to themselves, I know that guy. What is he doing here? That's the greediest jerk I've ever met in my life. Why is he in church? And you have classified all Christians as hypocrites because you know they've done some of those things, and yet they call themselves a Christian. This is very good news. Christianity is not about not doing those things. And I'm standing up here as living proof of it because I'm telling you right now, I'm not being hypocritical. I'm telling you right now, I've broke through a bunch of those many times. The good news of Christianity is this, and if you're just catching on to this, here's the good news. God knows as well as you know and everybody else knows that you have done those things. And because of those things, there is a severe penalty to be paid. 
you will not get off the hook. I will not get off the hook for the fact that I've done these things. But the good news is that God one day sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for me. It's called a story of love. It is a story of incredible grace. And a guy like me who's done all those things can be forgiven. And I stand here today not innocent of those things. I stand here today guilty of all those things. But I have been forgiven by a person named Jesus. And you can be too. So let me just get that, because I would feel hypocritical if somehow you came here today and I sort of acted like I hadn't done those things. So I'm just telling you right now, I've done these things, and I, and I know you have too. The real question of this series is, what does God say about these things? Because what we have, and if you, if you haven't captured this yet, is what we really have is not a list of rules for us to keep so that we can get to heaven because you can't keep the rules and you haven't kept the rules, and I certainly haven't. What we really have is a story, and I just gave it to you in a real brief moment. What we really have in this book, the Bible, is a story of a Savior, Jesus, who can forgive us of our sins. But on top of that, we have a book with a lot of commands and a lot of insight into life. And what we have is a book from a heavenly daddy, right? A heavenly father, the best dad that you probably never had. And in this book, we get insights into things like greed and anger and lust. So what we want to do today is figure out What does our dad, the perfect dad, say to me and you about something as scary, something as convicting, something as private, something as secret, as lust? And what I think you're going to find is that what he says isn't what you think he says about it, and that the devil has sort of tricked you to think That God is anti-lust. And I'm going to just tell you right now, our heavenly dad is not anti-lust. In fact, what I need to tell you is he created it. You're like, what? God created lust. Let me explain it to you, and that's what we'll spend our morning talking about. Just so you understand the definition of lust, let me put it up on the screen for you. Lust is having a very strong sexual desire for someone. You could expand on this a little bit. It's, it's, it's craving someone sexually, coveting them, aching for them, burning for them, having a strong appetite for someone sexually. That's what I mean when I say lust, and I'll say it once again. Your heavenly dad created lust. It is a good thing. You say, well, you better explain that, Paul. That's not what I heard. That's not what pastor said last week. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I got to explain it. Hang with me. Hang with me. I'll explain it. You'll get it. In order to explain it, I need to, first of all, say to you a couple things. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and quite frankly, all of you, there will be things that I say today about this topic that are going to sound archaic to you, They'll sound impossible. They're certainly going to sound not in the 21st century. I understand all of that. I'm cool with that. All I want you to do today is listen to what I have to say. Um, 
log it away in your thought process for one day, because one day down the road when maybe you're hurting, one day down the road when let's just say you're married and the sexual aspect of your marriage has vanished and you can't figure out why, what, what happened in our marriage? I mean, we love each other, but the sex is just gone. What happened? When you're confused about that one day, just remember the guy at Generation Church who tried to explain to you how lust and sex and marriage are supposed to work. So please know that I will say things to you today that will sound crazy, and I'm cool with that. You don't have to accept everything that I say today. That's fine. Just log it away for down the road when you stumble upon something that doesn't really make sense, or maybe when you're hurting, or maybe when you've captured a, a venereal disease or, or something like that, or maybe when a spouse walked out on you because you cheated on them. Remember the guy who tried to explain to you one day in church what God says about lust and marriage and sex. So I understand some of the things that I say today will sound crazy, but you can process it. We're all adults, and that's cool. So in order to discuss this this properly, I've got to start in the Old Testament and then go to the New Testament. We have some verses to cover and two kind of stories, an Old Testament story um, to cover and then a New Testament story today. So hang with me and follow along on the screens. What, What I want you to know is we're going to start in Genesis. And the good thing about Genesis, there's a lot of skepticism about Genesis these days, you know, because people have sort of Sort of don't buy into the Bible anymore. Let me tell you why I think Genesis is a reliable book. Over 200 times in the New Testament, you know, the Matthew, Mark, the story of Jesus part of the Bible. Over 200 times in the New Testament, the book of Genesis is referenced. And over 100 of those references are to the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis. On top of that, Jesus, Jesus referenced Genesis, Jesus talked about Adam and Eve. And I'm a real simple guy. And because the Christian faith is really built on just one person, Jesus, you don't have to understand all of this. You just have to figure out who Jesus is. If Jesus talked about the book of Genesis, and if Jesus talked about Adam and Eve, then I'm good with it. So that's why I accept the sort of Genesis account and the beginning of things. Let me put for you my favorite verse on the screen. This is my favorite verse because it's so foundational to everything that we ever try to figure out, including what God says about lust. Genesis 1-1 on the screen, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you go, what's so big about that? Well, here's what's big about that. What's big about that is a creator, by their very nature, gets to write the rules. So let's say that I'm a creator of software. Well, we understand that the creator of software, if I'm the creator, then I get to make up the software and write the rules for the software, right? If I'm a musician, the musician gets, has the right to create the music and, and pick what sort of rhythm and pick what sort of melody and pick what sort of harmony and how long the song's going to be and what are the verses going to say. By the nature of being a creator, you get to write the rules for your creation. So this could be, for some of us, not your favorite verse, the most controversial verse. If God creates, then he gets to write the rules. So if God created, 
me and you, if God created man and woman, if God created marriage, if God created lust, then he gets to write the rules for that. So Genesis 1 says God created. It's a big deal. If I'm going to figure out what my heavenly father says about lust, it means that God created it. I got to figure out how it works. In the beginning, God created. And then throughout Genesis chapter 1, I won't put it all on the screen for you. I will just tell you, and you can read it for yourself this week. In day one, the earth is this blob, this inky black mess. That's what the Hebrew actually describes the earth as. And then the Spirit of God hovers over this inky black hole of a mess, and he begins to speak life into the world that you and I live in. And he creates light, and he creates day, and he creates night. And at the end of day one, it says, God spoke it into existence, it happened, and it was good. And then throughout day two, God speaks the heavens into existence, day three, day four, day five. And over the period of those first few days, God speaks life into a planet that becomes perfectly arranged with all the things that you and I see. And at the end of it, God goes, man, it is all good. I mean, repeatedly goes, the sky, that's good, man, that's awesome. The sea, wow, you've ever been to an ocean? God looks at it and goes, my goodness, that's great. And at the end of seven days, he he takes a rest and he goes, everything is good. But here's the interesting part. Here's where you and I come into this whole thing. In chapter 2, verse 7, I'll put that on the screen for you. He realized that something is missing. He says, the Lord God formed man. This is Genesis 2, 7. From the dust of the ground, he breathed life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Ladies, let me tell you something about your man. Um, the, the Hebrew word for man is Adam. Did you know that? You didn't. You didn't care, did you? But you can use it to your advantage. The, the word Adam is actually the same word as the Hebrew word for ground because man came from the ground. So the next time, ladies, I know how your, how your husband is. He thinks he's all that sometimes. Any lady want to give an amen to that, that your husband thinks he's all that? Come on, let me hear you. Let's get on. Amen. There's one in the back. The next time that your husband thinks he's all that, just look at him and call him Adam. Or you could just look at him and say, ground. Hey, dude, ground. Chill out, right? You ain't all that. Your name means ground. You came from the ground, dude chill, right? I'm just helping you ladies. Come on. You got to show me some love here this morning. All right. I'm just giving you a little thing. This happened. This is the story. All right. I'm building here. You got to understand this. If you're going to understand lust, God forms ground. Adam, the man, that'd be a cool moment. Wouldn't it? When God just sculpts some ground and it becomes one of me, I'd like to have been there for that. This has happened in history. And then something happens. Ground runs around for a couple days in the Garden of Eden, right? It's ground. And God looks down at ground. And you know what he says? Ladies, I'm helping you out too. There's another one. God looks down at ground, and I'll put it on the screen for you, verse 18 in Genesis chapter 2. You can read it for yourself. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. 
I am going to make a helper who is just right from this is huge friends. It's huge. I'm telling you, you can read it for yourself. God is creating a way the sky. Awesome. The sea. Awesome. Animals, living creatures, awesome, creates a man, Adam, ground. And he lets him run around for a couple days. And he looks down and goes, that ain't good. That, that's like half. Just telling you, what happened? That's a half. That's not good. I am going to create for the man a other half. A helper who's perfect for him. And if you dig into that word, a helper, a indispensable companion. That's what God says. Half needs help. Half down there. Ladies, next time he's running around the house acting like he's all that, just say, no problem, half. Half needs help. Number one, half needs help because half can't multiply without the other half. And half can't even manage the earth well. There's something missing. That's a dude down there. He needs something else. And, and, and the Bible describes it as an indispensable, a helper, an indispensable companion. It's awesome. God begins to search for the other half. And this next part's kind of funny, but this is big to what we're talking about when it comes to lust. I'm building something here. Verse number 19, I'll put it on. So, so God goes, okay, hey, Adam, half, come here. Let's go find your other half. And I, I don't know, I think God's kind of being funny. Um, what he does is he runs all the animals by Adam to see if any of those would be that indispensable companion that other half all right so the lord formed all the ground uh, formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky he brought them to the man to see what he would call them and the man chose a name for each one next verse he gave names to all the livestock all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals but still there was no helper just right for him so the Lord, oh yeah, we'll stop right there, right? We'll come to that in just a second. So he runs by all the animals, and at the end of seeing all the animals, he looks over at God and said, no, 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 that hippo, no. <laughs> no, I'm not attracted to that hippo. No, nothing happens inside of me there. That, that, the snake, no. Little, now that mouse is too small. Not my kind. Not my type. Nope, nope. Hey, God, this ain't cutting it. God goes, yeah, it ain't cutting it. Right? We're still looking for a half. We're still looking for a helper. We're still looking for an opposite. A partner. A companion. So he gives them all the names, but there's no helper there. Then God goes to work. And now I'm getting to what is the most. To me, it's the most Sexually charged, amazingly beautiful, blessed, fantastic passage in the Bible as it relates to marriage and husband and wife. I just absolutely love it. God goes, okay, let's make yourself, let's make Adam half, your other half. 
He puts Adam to sleep. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of one of the man's ribs, took out one of the man's ribs, closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. Ladies, don't be you know, down that you're from a rib. We're from ground, okay? I'd rather be from a man's rib or some, your rib than ground, okay? So you got one up on us, all right? The Lord God made a woman from the rib. He brought her to the man. Stop for a second. Guys, imagine you've never seen a woman before. You were just looking at a hippopotamus trying to figure out if you could love it. Okay? You looked at a lion, and while it was graceful, there was something missing. It didn't get you. Right? And God brings a woman to the man. And look what he says. At last! Okay, let's take that out of like the whatever century that is, and let's put that into the 21st century. Maybe it would be something like, hot damn! You kidding me? Oh my goodness! That is the most amazing being that I have ever seen in my life. This is it, God. High five. Wow. A naked. It's what she was. And God was standing right there. I told you, God created lust. He looked to find it, to create it for Adam. And standing in a circle of some sorts is God, his ground creation, and a creation from the rib called a woman, and Adam flat loses his mind. This one is really bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She will be called mine. That's what woman means in Hebrew. She is mine because she was taken from man. And then it goes on, verse 24. This, <laughs> no humor, okay. This explains why a man says, bye, dad. Come on, you're not with me. Bye, dad, bye, mom. <laughs> uh-uh, whoa, that's mine. See ya. It's going to be really hard. i got to pay all the bills, but I really don't care. I have found mine. This explains why a man says, bye, mom and dad. And just some insight. This explains why your family takes precedence over your in-laws and over your outlaws, whatever they are. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And this is one of the most powerful passages in all the Bible because it tells us something about why we feel the way we feel about marriage. It tells us why we feel the way we feel about people that we've had sex with. It makes us understand why, even though I hate his guts and I'm going to divorce him, when I actually divorce him, I really just, I feel horrible. 
and I still, 10 years later, have never really truly gotten over it. As much as my life is good, and as much as I've moved on with a family, and as much as maybe I couldn't change any of the circumstances that happened, I still, at the end of the day, I have forgotten about all the other mistakes in my life, and I've gotten over the time I went to jail for a couple days because I got drunk, no big deal, and I've gotten over the bankruptcy, but for some reason, if I were really honest, I never have gotten over my divorce, or I've never gotten over that one-night stand, or I never have gotten over that guy who abused me. This explains why sexual sin has such a hold on us and our culture is not telling us why. Our culture is lying to you. Because this explains why a man leaves his, his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And that doesn't just mean like one, they live in a house, and they, and they kind of won, and now they have the same bank account. That means that they literally become one person, like a drink that is mixed becomes one drink. You can't unmix rum and Coke. Try it. You can't un-one. This is according to the Bible and according to the God who loves us. You can't un-one what happens when you have sex with someone or you marry them. You can divorce them and, and you know, it happens. And I'm sure we, it's, remember, this isn't about being good or bad and God loving us. This is about a heavenly father trying to help us as all of his children understand the experiences of the past and what we can experience in the future. This isn't about guilt. This isn't about shame. This is just about being honest about what God says here. When you come together with some in, in someone in sexual intimacy, you become one with them like a mixed drink. And what that really tells us is that sex is not a sport. Sex is not a game. Sex is not something that you just do on spring break and then you forget about it. Sex is way bigger than that. This is big for us. If we're going to navigate a very sexually charged culture... We got to know this. And I'm so grateful for a God who tells me about this. You become one. That's a good thing. Ready? This explains marriage. You become one, not just physically, but soul. It's like soul sex. When you marry someone or even have sex with them, it's not just physical sex. What God is saying, it's soul sex. A oneness happens. Check this out. Next verse. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I promise you this setting, go back to the garden, God, Adam, and Eve. God knows what's going on. He's like, there's a whole bunch of lust right here. We won't go into details. <laughs> Guy's like, yeah, everything's working. There's a lot of lust. I love this. I'm going to go. You guys do your thing. I love it. God loves lust. He created it. But here's the deal. He created it within the boundaries of marriage. Right? So let me give you the formula for the best sex. And what you need to understand is that the best sex, and, and ladies know this, 
Ladies love this. The best sex is always wrapped around intimacy. Guys, you know this, but you don't necessarily like this. Ladies love it. The best sex, and God knows this, the best sex because he created ladies, and it's how they operate. The best sex is always operating around intimacy. And guess what? Your marriage is supposed to be the most intimate, oneness, incredible place where you lust all day after your wife. Here is the formula for intimacy. Half ground plus rib, the other half, indispensable partner, equals oneness for life. And it is in that setting where you experience the greatest intimacy and lust should thrive on a daily basis and there's nothing that you cannot think of or imagine or try in that setting that God would say that's bad. So this is what I want to say to you. If you think that following after Jesus or God is some sort of restrictive world where you can't lust and, oh, my God, those Christians are such prudes, then the devil has lied to you. That's not what he did. He said, get married to some hot smoking chick, which is why I told you earlier that my wife was hot and smoking because that's my hot smoking chick over there. And lust after her and love her and have sex with her and dream about her and look at pictures of her. Wait, okay, maybe I went too far. No, I was kidding. <laughs> She's yours, mine, yeah. Here's the problem. Guys, I'm talking to you. The devil comes to you and lies to you and tells you that, you know, that woman that you're married to, she's hot and all, but at work, she's kind of hot too. So why don't you manage your lust a little bit and take a little bit of lust that you could be given to your wife and funnel a little bit of lust over to that chick at work? What's the big deal? As long as you don't order from the menu, it's not wrong to look at it. And all of you guys are like, I never heard that before. You heard that before. You know that. And guess what? You could say, you could justify. If you haven't really looked at what God says about it, you could justify that, you know, my little lust over here for that, for that girl at work and my little lust on the Internet over here, or ladies, your little shades of gray lust. What's the big deal? I'm just funneling a little bit of my lust away from my spouse. Or maybe if you're not married, what's the big deal? I'm not married. I just funnel a little of my lust away over here and over here and over here. And then one day when I get married, I promise you, I swear to you, I will only lust after my wife for all of my days. And all the married men in this room know that's a fat lie. It's not how it works. And in fact, here's the deal. This is what God teaches. And I'm going to jump to the New Testament and show you a passage there, and then we'll be done. The deal is this. This is what God says about lust. He's given us the formula, half plus half, a oneness for life. In a fallen world, it doesn't always happen that way. Again, there's forgiveness. I stand up here guilty of a lot of those things, and I'm forgiven in Jesus. 
It doesn't change what the ideal is, and I just want to share it with you. For life, catch us, catch us. Whenever we take a portion of our lust away from the other half and we divvy it out to other people, we destroy our ability to experience the level of intimacy that God designed for you to enjoy in your marriage and you hurt yourself. And the reason why your marriage fills stale, check it out. I promise you, you're distributing your lust in other places. And if you will step back from that, and you will take a period of time in your life where you say, God, more than anything in my life, I want to control my lust so that one day I can experience what you want me to experience when it came to a half and a half and a oneness that only happens within marriage. God, I want that more than the promotion at work. I want that more than the big money. I want that more than anything. I want that more than watching a football game. I want that more than anything. I want my significant other, my spouse, if you're married now, if you're not married, I want to be able to love my spouse one day with the full level of intimacy and experience everything that you want me to experience. God, I want that more than anything. I am going to funnel all the lust that you gave me into one person. And I'm going to trust you, God, that you will bring my marriage alive and that you will fix things that have been broken. God, I am going to trust you. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, your heavenly father is not lying to you. He is a good dad. If you were God, and these were all your children, what would you say to the married people in the room about their lust? You would say, don't lust at the woman at work. Don't lust on the internet. You're married to mine, a beautiful woman. Pour all your lust into her and watch what happens. You're married to ground, and he's a good dude. And you've been beating on him. And you haven't been loving him the way that you should. You're not pouring your lust. You're not being available to him. Why don't you just stop that for a while? Stop being so selfish. Stop being so arrogant. Why don't you turn all of that back at him and watch what happens when you do that? This is what our Heavenly Father says to us. Maybe you're a young man or a young lady and you aren't married and you have a choice to make. Over these next five or ten years, you can buy into what the world says about sexuality and you can become one with multiple people and then one day you're going to marry someone and it's going to feel boring because you taught yourself to think wrongly about lust and sexuality. It was a game to you. It was an event. And you have left bits and pieces of yourself along the way. And now you're married and something is missing. And I'm telling you, you can still be forgiven. You can still be fixed. But you're going to need to remember how God views all of this. Step back and go, hmm. It's about half plus half for life. It's about funneling all my lust in that direction and allowing God to bless me 
and fill my life with joy based on that. Now, with all of that said, I want to jump ahead to the New Testament and run through a passage of Scripture just to clarify this with you so that you understand that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was talking to a group of people that lived in a city that is becoming very much like our city. It was the city of Corinth. Corinth was really bad, though. Because at Corinth, you went to the temple, and at the temple, they had prostitutes. So you would go to church and sleep with a prostitute at church. And then you would go back to your wife and say, hey, honey, let me just say this. The men were very faithful to church in Corinth. They just were. Worship was great. How was worship today, honey? It's great. No one's with me, but that's what is happening in Corinth, all right? Paul goes to that city and he introduces the idea of Christianity and the idea of Christianity is the same idea as it is today. There's a heavenly father who created half, created another half. They stick together for life. And in that relationship, there's 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 intimacy and and lust and sexuality. And it's the best ever. So Paul goes to the city where everybody's doing their whole thing. This isn't, you know, our culture today is kind of slipping away from the idea that sex is more than just a physical act. It's a relationship and it's for life and you don't just have sex with anyone. This isn't the first time that culture has slipped away. It's not brand new. Paul goes to Corinth and says, hey, let me teach you about something here. And I want you to hear what Paul said because it's exactly what I said to you. And he uses the same references from Genesis. And then I'll, I'll just close after that. Here's what he, I'll put it on the screen. Paul looks at these people in Corinth, and he's trying to teach them. And he says, do you not know that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Which you would go, my body's a part of Christ. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is we as a church, and maybe you're new to church, you haven't got this, but we as a church are part of the body of Christ. So we're the hands and the ears and the eyes. And I know Pastor Alex and, and Ken have emphasized to you that you want to be a part of your community. You want to be the hands and the eyes and the ears. You want to love people. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, guess what? When you become a Christian, you're not just a spiritual thing. It actually it means that your physical body becomes part of the body of Christ. We're the representation of Jesus as part of a church. He says, should a man take his body, which is part of Christ and join, or you could say the word unite it to a prostitute. Never, right? We don't use the word unite, but the next time in your, if you're a club-going person, walk up to a hot chick there and say, hey, chick, you want to unite? She'll be like, what? God says unite. You mean unite? Like, yeah, he referenced back to the oneness. You don't want to become one with a prostitute? No, it's just like an event, it's just like a night, it's just like a few bucks. Paul says, never, next verse. And do you not realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? Well, it wasn't, wasn't about that. It was, just, it was just the thing to do. For the scriptures say, and it, that is going right back to Genesis, the two are united into one. So Paul's saying to these people, hey, sex is a relationship. It's not an event. It's not something that you do. You don't really want to be in relationship with the prostitute. You don't want to become one as in a mixed drink with the prostitute. You're like, no, man, a lot of problems there. Well, he says, that's what happens. The next verse. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 
Run from sexual sin. So basically he says, not only do you not want to become one with a prostitute, but he references the fact that when you become a follower of Christ, his spirit comes and lives inside of you. So now he makes the connection. You have Jesus in you, and now you're becoming one with a prostitute. Do you really think Jesus wants to be at that party? That's what he says. It's kind of tough, isn't it? Run from sexual sin. This is our advice about lust. It isn't don't lust. It's that there's a place for lust. And that place for lust is with the one person that God links you up with for life. Outside of that, stay away from all the ramifications that happen when you take sex outside of marriage. And just for one quick second, what happens when you take sex outside of marriage? Um, Let's say divorce happens. Some of us have paid a big price for that or been hurt by that. Um, Children grow up in homes without fathers and mothers because of sex outside of a relationship. Um, Disease happens. Um, There's a lot of a cost on the economy because of it. If, and, and I could go on, if you were God, what would you say to all of us about sexuality? You would say, it's a big deal. I've given it to you as a gift. Be careful with it. Run from lust and sexual sin. And this is incredible. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, which goes back to what I referenced earlier when I said to you, why is it that it is the sexual sin that we can't get over? The person who we said no on a date, And they took advantage of us. And to this day, it bothers you the most, and rightfully so, more than any other thing. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows how it works. No other sin so clearly affects us. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. And I think it's the final verse. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Bottom line is this, friends. I told you, I'm guilty of lust. And so are most of you. And when I am guilty of it, It destroys the intimacy with the person that I love more than anything. And my heavenly father looks down at me and says, Paul, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're missing out on my best for you. And that is the mess. What does God say about lust? He looks down and says, to the level that it controls your life, sir, To the level that it controls your life, dear lady, you are missing out on my best. It isn't a game to play. It is the most serious thing that will ever affect you in your life. Sexual sin. A category of its own. And most of us could raise our hand and say, yep, I agree. My hand is up. Yep, I agree. And our Heavenly Father says, stay away from it, stay away from it, stay away from it, stay away from it. Until you find that other half and you can pour all your lust into them, form a family and a relationship. Until then, keep yourself pure. Purity leads to intimacy. Purity leads to to intimacy. Purity leads to intimacy. I pray that all of us can grasp this 
embrace it for the good of our families and future generations. Let me pray. Dear God.